Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News. Right now, the Jack Riccardi Show. Sleigh bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. Yeah, that was last night. We were happy about it. I hope you were able to make it out to Blue Bonnet Palace for Rapping with Jack. We're going to update you on how that went, but I'll say a quick thank you. Deborah. And they were asking for you, Christian, by the way. I had a lot of people ask if you were there. They want to meet you. So we'll get you out to one of these one of these, one of of these, these days. I've got a valid excuse. Mi- uh, of course you do. You're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're a news guy. You're, you were doing your show. You were doing your shift. But that's not it. Oh. So I totally okay. messed up. True story here real quick. Okay. So a couple weeks ago, I was told that my son, third grade up in Kerrville, had his christmas concert on tuesday Mm. yada 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 right well monday night i'm told it's last night i thought it was next week oh so so did you go to it you made it right yeah i did that's why much more important to go to that well i wanted to do both because i had that wrong color you know backwards baseball cap i was going to (laughs) bring I was all set. We're crushed that we didn't get to see that, but uh, no, it's a, hey, he'll only be in the third grade once. So that's, that's a fact. Yeah, I'll be here every year. I think <laughs> that's what. So, they but say. No, we'll we'll get you out to one of these for sure. And thank you for that. Sounds um, good. So uh, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to dive right in here. You can join the show at two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. While we were uh, ramping up for rapping with Jack last night, we were getting the results from Georgia, and as you know. Uh, Senator Raphael Warnock won re-election in the last race of the 2022 cycle. This was the runoff for the uh, the remaining Senate seat. And look, um, this was not a surprise. This is what we thought would happen. This is what I, I said yesterday. I expected would happen. I, I didn't think that that there was there was nothing there was nothing to indicate a different outcome. Um, the turnout in Georgia was record-setting in, in almost every demographic. And so before we get into who won and lost, the whole voters are being suppressed message that came from Joe Biden on down is bogus and disgusting because voters were not being suppressed. In fact, the election laws in Georgia are more progressive and accessible than many blue states, including more so demonstrably more so than the home states of the current Democratic president and vice president of the United States. So that was just a big toxic lie spread around to, I don't know what, to maybe distract from the race or to uh, make excuses in case somehow Herschel Walker knocked off Raphael Warnock. But Herschel Walker was not a terrible person. He's not a bad person. He's not the devil. Uh, he was a terrible candidate. He he was often unprepared, um, did not seem to have a grasp on the issues. I, I don't know Georgia politics inside and out, but 
as we watched around the country, you would look at, at somebody like Mehmet Oz uh, or Herschel Walker, uh, some of these other uh, Senate and gubernatorial candidates, and you would think, really, that was the best they could do? That was the best person they could find? And it wasn't. Uh, sometimes it was the fam- most famous person, or it was uh, the Trump-selected person, but it wasn't always the best candidate. So there's just a lot of races the Republicans could have won, but they didn't, and there's no excuse. You, you know, close doesn't count. Um, it's interesting to note, people are making the point today, that if you go back and look at all the races in Georgia in this cycle, all the statewide races, the Republican candidates won all of them by between 2 and 10%. And Walker looks to have lost by about 2 or 3%. So that tells you that the, the quality of his candidacy was, was the, the, the thing. But I'm not going to take it from um, people in the media who want to go on and on about what a terrible, awful uh, candidate he was, when many of them, if you recall, a couple of years ago, wanted Michael Avenatti, the attorney, to be president. Oh, they loved him. He was on every show. He was on The View. They begged him to run for president, and he said he was thinking about it. He flirted with it. Michael Avenatti. Anna Navarro on The View said he was the Holy Spirit. Michael Avenatti is starting a 14-year prison sentence for stealing from his clients and evading taxes. So there are terrible candidates all over the place. And the people that were all heated up about Avenatti have nothing to say. Sit down. Nothing to say about Herschel Walker. I'll tell you an interesting story about the Herschel Walker thing coming up here. Um... But yeah, you know, so the Republicans are going to wind up, they lost the Senate, they were in a tie for the Senate before, now they're in the minority in the Senate, they have 49 senators, they won the Congress, the House, by the narrowest of margins, and all the establishment people are still in charge. All the establishment people are still in charge, and there's going to be a race for chair of the Republican National Committee, but Ron and McDaniel almost certainly will win that. If it was a professional sports team that kept failing, if it was a company that kept losing market share, there'd be change at the top, to say the least. If the people in charge didn't have the pride and the poise to step aside themselves, then they would be removed by the supervisory board or the board of directors or what have you. But there's none of that with the Republicans. Now, I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to tell you how to vote. In most elections, in most places, the Republican candidate is going to be the more pro-freedom, the more pro-individual candidate. So if you're conservative, more often than not, the the, the Republican candidate will be, will be your best choice. But, but that's not saying much for the Republican party and for the way it operates. And, um, I, it's this is again why I, I I vote for Republicans, but I'm not a Republican. Speaking of politicians, there were a couple of stories in the news. Um, this is uh, a CNN story: Walmart closing stores and raising prices because of shoplifting. CEO of Walmart said on CNBC yesterday that shoplifting is higher than it's ever been, and that will lead to prices going up and stores closing. And we've talked about how in in big cities in, in San Francisco and in New York. 
uh, pharmacies, convenience stores, chain retailers are closing locations, not because they don't get any customers. I mean, if you're on a busy corner, you can't lose, right? But because they cannot afford the losses. And so the Walmart guy says, uh, look, we're going to close stores. Our prices are going to go up. There was a story also in the news uh, yesterday about a gas station in Philadelphia. Um, and the owner of the gas station has hired armed guards who stand around, um, you know, wearing Kevlar, uh, carrying guns, carrying tasers to protect, protect the business and to protect the customers. People were getting mugged while they were pumping gas. Um, the cashiers were getting robbed. And so they have put armed security guards in tactical gear around the gas stations. And the way it was reported in a lot of places was, isn't this awful? Isn't this just, this is just so ridiculous and terrible and and reckless and somebody's going to get hurt? You know, the people that don't like seeing the armed guards are the people that vote for the politicians and the policies that make the armed guards necessary. The people that are going to bitch and moan because their local Walgreens closed or there's not a Target or a Walmart near them are also going to be the people who voted for the politicians who quote-unquote reformed the, ju- the justice system or who, uh, you know, d- think we need fewer police and in some cases have achieved that. So what's happening is we are all having to live with outcomes that we didn't vote for that wouldn't have been what we voted for and the people that are going to complain and they're going to talk about there being a food desert in the inner city or why isn't there a a convenience store because of how you vote and we talked about i think a week or two ago people are giving up trying to save their city they're just leaving it so i get news for you armed guards at the gas station there's a lot more of that to come. I, 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 that's 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 what we've chosen as a country. That's where it's at. Today, there's a story in the news that the border patrol lost an agent near Mission during a high speed chase. His vehicle hit a gate, and a border patrol agent who went to work this morning, just thinking it would be another day, will not be home with his family tonight. And this is the border that Joe Biden couldn't find time to visit during his trip to Arizona. He flew Air Force One all the way to Arizona to make a speech about a new chip factory, which he clearly didn't even understand what it was. Don, do we have that clip of him talking about the, uh, I don't have my little cheat notes in front of me here. Do you have that clip of him uh, trying to explain what the chip factory does? Okay, I'll, I'll find that and we'll get that to you. Um but he's there, to, he gives this one speech, no time for the border, the border's not important. Now, I always thought when there were disasters, when there were crises, presidents needed to be seen going to those places and doing those those walkthroughs, right? But I guess this is the one that's different. That's interesting. I, I have to say, on this one, the Republicans aren't a lot better. If you've not been following this, the Republicans are signaling that they're ready to make a deal for amnesty for dreamers 
and DACA recipients that is going to grant more citizenship and extend more amnesty. And this is a Republican slash Democratic uh, bipartisan compromise deal. So the Republicans who are also upset at Trump have already forgotten what it is that enabled Trump to climb to the top of their pack in 2015 and 2016. It's exactly stuff like this. I mean, I can understand if they want to move on from him because of him, at least show that you have listened and retained what we the people are telling you. You can move on from him, but learn the lesson. They won't do it. They're not doing it. So they're doomed to be forced to, they're going to have to repeat that lesson. And we'll see how that plays out, right? All right, you can join the show right now, 210-599-5555. Jack Riccardi on KTSA, and uh, we are coming off a very successful 2022 Wrapping with Jack. It's all for Family Service Association and the families that they serve. The president and CEO of uh, Family Service Association of San Antonio, Mary Gard, joining us now on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. And, Mary, it was great to see you last night, and... Um, Everybody, I think, feels really great about the way that went over at Blue Bonnet Palace. Absolutely, Jack. It was a wonderful evening. So much holiday spirit, Christmas cheer in the air, and we appreciated everything that you and your sponsors and listeners did. We had over 450 people attend in person to help come out and wrap presents for our families. Thank you all so much. We definitely appreciate everybody that came and many people who said I was uh, praying for you and pulling for you. I couldn't make it, but I was there in spirit. We thank everybody for that. Now, I want to kind of take people, Mary, kind of past where we were last night. So when, when everything was said and done and those gifts were loaded up, what is happening with them now? What, what happens in the days ahead? Oh, my gosh, yeah. So there's still a lot of work <laughs> um, ahead of us here. So... Um, you know, we are, all of these gifts are matched to individuals and to families, um, by, you know, wish list, by age, gender, um, et cetera. And then, uh, from there, they are tied to the programs that these families are supported by. And our program staff then will receive these gifts that have already been, you know, put together for each family. And then they will take the gifts and deliver them to the families directly. Some of them, the families will come into our community center to pick up. It, it depends mm-hmm. on each family. And, right. uh, and that way they'll have it in time so that these gifts will be under the Christmas tree on Christmas Day for them. And I know that um, we still have our give button up at KTSA.com. If people were not able to make it last night, they can still give and you can still, this, this money can still help. Absolutely. We, we, I hate to say it, but we tend to have wait lists uh, with families. And then we have families that will pop up at the last minute that we have to find, you know, ways to address. And so um, we can, and, you know, and then sometimes 
we'll have people um, or organizations that will step up to adopt a family, but something will happen at the last minute and they're no longer able to support. And then we're now, you know, turning around trying to find some other way to meet this family's need. So we have those needs going on all the way up to the last day. And so if people are still able to, to donate or contribute, absolutely, they could go on our website. They could go into the Amazon wish list. They could go press and donate directly to us um, or drop off gifts um, at any of our sites as well. And any of this will help. And, you know, really for us, we'll be gearing up then for next year's Adopt-A-Family program in 2023. Right, plus all the things that you do uh, all throughout the year, as we were talking about a little bit last night. The the programs are year-round. It's not just uh, this part of it that we talk about with Rappin' with Jack. Well, um, I think I think for a lot of people, uh, when they hear the broadcast, Mary, when they hear us talk about it and promote it and then the broadcast, it's probably also an opportunity to find out that you guys are out there. Um, it's it's amazing to me that, that even after over 100 years, there are still people finding out, but we have new people coming to town all the time. And uh, if they want to be a part of uh, what you do year-round, if, if it's a corporation that wants to do some kind of partnering or matching up or something like that, or a group that wants to, uh, we encourage them, and, and we hope that maybe uh, last night was a little bit of a gateway to, to helping support this, this great organization that uh, does so much for families all throughout the year. And again, thanks to everybody that came out, all of the volunteers who worked ahead of time, who worked the event, who helped clean up afterwards. Uh, and Mary, thank you. You've been, I know you, you're extremely busy, but you've always been great about coming on and pitching in and helping us out with this. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Jack. We, we couldn't do this without the teamwork that you all bring and all the support you bring with, you know, your sponsors, your listeners, your own team and partnering with us and, and so many folks in our communities. We thank you. Merry Christmas, Mary, and thanks again to all of your team at Family Service Association. Thanks for coming on. We're, also, I want to say a thank you to um, all of our KTSA folks. I hope I don't forget to mention anybody, but our operations manager, Greg Martin, our engineer uh, for the broadcast, Greg Shelton, um, Elaine Rodriguez, our executive producer, Don Cooper, who was our studio producer last night. Uh, and we, we, had a, we had a lot of people uh, that worked very hard on this. I, I get to have my name on it. But I am I am the tip of the tip of the iceberg for this thing. It, it's a lot of people and it's a lot of work. Um, when we started, it was only really talked about on this show, and then as it as the years went on, um, our other shows started helping me promote it. And I thank Trey and Sean for letting me come on their shows repeatedly, and and for them talking about it uh, as well. And so it's 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 one of those things. I think you probably know what I'm talking about. It's one of those things that people support because it, there's such an obvious need. It, it's it's so obviously the answer to a question. And I think the question isn't, I needed a new this or I wanted a new that. I think the, it's the answer to the question, does anybody even know I'm out here? Does anybody even know I exist? Do I even count? And i i realize and 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 people often take us to task for this i i know that christmas is not about presents it's not about gifts it's it's about something much deeper and more spiritual than that i understand that but um there is a basic human need to count and the difference between feeling like no one even knows you exist or where you live or who you live with or what's happened to you this year, and being acknowledged and having that that item with your name on it to unwrap 
like you know everybody else is doing at their house on Christmas Day. That is a huge difference. Thank you for helping us make that difference. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle belling And everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year right, On 550 and 1071 KTSA Jack Riccardi, you can join the show at 210 599 Joining us right now in the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line is uh, surgeon and professor and commentator from Johns Hopkins University, Dr. Marty McCary. Dr. McCary, it's good to have you back with us. Good afternoon to you. Good to be with you, Jack. Thank you. We're hearing the term tridemic, which I guess is COVID, flu, and this RSV uh, illness that's going around. What, what in your mind? I mean, what, what, what do you make of of dubbing it the tridemic? What should public health uh, be doing about it? What, what should individuals be thinking about or doing about it as as we go about our our business? Well, we're in a bad flu season, and we've also got a bad RSV season, which is a particular risk for young children. I don't think it's helpful to use the term tridemic since we're not seeing a lot of COVID. I mean, there's very few people hospitalized for COVID. You can test people and you're going to find incidental positives and mild infections, but really it's less than 5% of what we're seeing in the hospital or hospitalizations for COVID among all the respiratory pathogens. So it's a bad flu season, which means we need to be serious about the flu. I got the flu shot, and I recommend it. I think right now we're just sort of so burned with COVID. People have booster fatigue. They've been lied to by public health officials over different topics. And I think there's a long uh, history now of a diminished public mm. trust, and we're, we're mm-hmm. battling that. Yeah, I was going to ask you, and I wonder if anyone's studying it or has studied it, do you think there was a detrimental effect on people getting the flu shot, which used to be a pretty rote thing in the wake of all the acrimony about the the COVID vaccine? Well, yes, definitely. As a matter of fact, fewer people are getting the flu shot now than in previous years before COVID. And that's probably because people have sort of become anti- shots and vaccines in general after the public health officials of the last year have overstepped their boundaries, really taking a very paternalistic approach and insisting that people get fired from their job, even as a truck driver, if they don't get vaccinated. And we've seen tremendous enthusiasm by public health officials around vaccines, COVID vaccines for babies, even though there's no data to support that they really work. And for the new bivalent vaccine, which is the new Omicron vaccine, it may make sense for a small group of high-risk people who have not had Omicron this year. But for most people, it doesn't make sense, or at least there's no data to tell us it makes sense. And people want to see data. Yeah. You know, um, I was also going to ask you, in terms of this being a very bad flu and RSV season, is there any link to the the way people were shut down and locked in? Because I know a lot of, 
experts warned that one of the byproducts of that would be weakening our immune system, not exposing ourselves uh, to to the world and 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 basically giving our immune system that that workout that it needs. Do they think that's why this is a worse year? A lot of immunologists do believe that. It's a concept that's been well described. It's called immunity debt, which means you're kind of sheltered and protected from viruses, from things like isolation and lockdowns and a lot of masking. And then you're kind of, uh, your, your immune system is sort of more vulnerable. It's weakened. It's not been exposed to low-level viruses that normally circulate. So that is one of the reasons that people think we have been getting a really bad flu in RSV season right now. It was sort of one of the unanticipated consequences of the restrictions for two years called immunity debt. Have you heard of hmm. people where they say my my spouse got sick and but I didn't get sick? Well, the, even though you didn't get sick, you got low-level immune protection because hmm. you were around the virus, and that's mm-hmm. what people did not get over the last two years. I'm seeing more masks. I don't know. I mean, that's anecdotal, not statistical, but uh, are masks part of what people should be thinking about with the the RSV and the flu being around? Well, I think masks have become highly politicized because public health officials at the NIH did not do their job and study masks properly or study the different types of masks. Turns out the type of mask most people are wearing is the type that is ineffective or least effective. That is the cloth mask. The reality is if you wear a decent mask, a surgical mask or better, when you're sick, that is when you're coughing and sneezing or breathing a lot of aerosolized droplets and, and um, flu particles, wearing a mask can be a, a nice common courtesy if you are sick and you have to be around other people. You have to go to the pharmacy to get a medication. So I do encourage people to wear a mask if they have symptoms. People should not be showing up to work sick, coughing and sneezing right. and slobbering right. on the person next to them like they used to. Yeah. And what about, uh, I read an article today at Kaiser Health News about how the Centers for Disease Control, most of their staff, Dr. McCary, are still working remotely. Um, what are we to make of that? And, and what does that say about whether that agency is, is capable of changing or reforming? Well, they're either working remotely or they're not working remotely. And as Elon Musk uh, said in his message to Twitter employers, employees before he got there, he said, you can pretend to work somewhere else. And the problem is that the CDC, with 21,000 employees, was unable to do the most basic studies on masks, natural immunity. Um, we learned that vitamin D lowers death rates with covid a month ago from a good study. Why are we learning that two and a half, almost three years into this, they have not been doing their job. So the CDC has been a huge disappointment. Just think about their COVID tracker. It was so bad and they really yeah. didn't have one that it was one Johns Hopkins, one of our Johns Hopkins engineering grad students who came up with a COVID tracker that became the COVID tracker for the world. How do they not, um, how, how do they not do that at the CDC? 21,000 employees. Well, and it seems like it seems like it's not just that they're not doing it, it's that they are part of this uh establishment that shouts down outsiders or 
uh, you know, people that aren't in the club who say, well, what about this? Well, what about that? I mean, it seems like the biggest problem we had was that there were people with expertise all during COVID trying to engage the so-called experts and they were ostracized. And, and speaking of Twitter, in many cases, they were completely deplatformed. If we, if we had just had an honest airing of theories and debating of those things, we probably would be in a better place. Well, Dr. Fauci and his crew had a choice. They could either lead this pandemic by doing really good research, randomized controlled trials quickly, or they could just rule by opinion and squash the other opinions. And unfortunately, a lot of the, what they did was rule by opinion. So we have been left with no science to support a lot of the big edicts and dogma, and a lot of people are upset right now. Yeah. Dr. Marty McCary, I always appreciate your time with us and uh, look forward to speaking with you again, but thank you today. Thanks so much, Jack. All right, it's 444 on 550 and 1071-KTSA, 210-599-5555. So we were talking a little bit yesterday, and I guess the choice for Time Magazine's Person of the Year, if you have not heard, uh, the cover of Time Magazine will be uh, Person of the Year, Vladimir Zelensky, and the spirit of Ukraine. Why don't you say the people of Ukraine? I guess the spirit of Ukraine would include uh, people in this country who've never been there but made their uh, Facebook picture uh, the the Ukrainian flag. Because you're, you know, if you if you change your profile on Facebook, you're in the you're in the fight too. You are good for you. I've got a medal for you. Drop it off with you later on. So, what do you think about that choice? What do you think about Zelensky? And uh, the spirit of Ukraine as Time Magazine's Person of the Year. I mean, the first thing I think of is that um, at least it's not Liz Cheney, so we can we can thank them for that. Um, obviously, as we talked about yesterday, this whole uh, recognition itself has kind of lost a lot of its luster. It used to be a pretty big deal, um, and I understand media has changed and uh, the media world has changed. But I looked it up because I I've, I, I seem to remember that. Not too many years ago, and it turns out 15 years ago, this same magazine made Vladimir Putin their, t- their Time Magazine Person of the Year. Now, if you made Vladimir Putin the Person of the Year, and now you've made Zelensky the Person of the Year because he is resisting Putin's invasion, you can say all you want about, well, we're not, we're not, uh, lauding them we're just recognizing their significance but to me you have no like program you don't you're you're just sort of making this up as you go along you've got like no no guidelines you've got no principles i mean what is the point of giving something like this to an adolf hitler which they also did or a vladimir putin what are you saying are you saying that you're impressed by their um, mendacity and their ruthlessness? Are you saying that we ought to we ought to recognize, even though they're terrible people, we ought to recognize how excellent they are at being terrible? I mean, what are you saying? What 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 the hell are you saying? Who wants the distinction when you're handing it out like this so haphazardly? And then, of course, I I think there are real questions, not about the Ukrainian people who seem very stout and steadfast, 
But I think there are real questions about Zelensky and his government. Uh, he may turn out to be uh, a heroic historical figure, but he may not be. Um, I don't think we know that yet. So for me, the bottom line is at least it's not Liz Cheney. And one more thing that Liz Cheney lost in 2022. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bells swing and jingle bells ring. Snowing and blowing a bushels of fun. Now the jingle hop has begun. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bell time and jingle bell time. Dancing and prancing in Jingle Bell Square. All right, KTSA. So what do you think about... Uh, President Zelensky as Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Uh, yet another magazine he will be, he will be on the cover of. Um, I, I I have nothing against this guy because I don't know. I I've heard a lot of things about the, the amount of money and the accountability or lack of accountability of the money going over there. Whether that's him, whether that's the corruption of our politicians and the military industrial complex, I think remains to be seen. To me, the whole this whole deal is on two levels. Like, yes, we get these, these, these reports day to day about the fighting between Russia and Ukraine. And there was a story yesterday about how Ukraine is using drone strikes to, to strike deeper into Russia than just right along the border. So I get that. I, I, I read that. I hear that. But then I kind of think to myself, just because I'm a history buff, you give this thing 20 years, and we're going to find out all kinds of things that are going on that we don't know about or we only suspect. And I'm talking about everything from was the uh, Russian invasion as much of a surprise as we claim it was? Uh, what kinds of back-channel deals have been going on? What has What has gone on with this money? I mean, maybe, maybe the American taxpayer should be Time Magazine's person of the year because we're, we're not only funding Ukraine's resistance, but we're basically funding their entire national budget or, or most of it. So I, to me, this is a, an unfinished story. You, and, and if you want to, if you want to tie a ribbon around it now, I think that's lazy because I don't think we know. We don't even know how this is going to end just in terms of, of when the fighting ends, but we also really don't know all the ins and outs that went into it and the, the parts of the iceberg that are below the surface of the water. Um, and that's, that just makes me kind of skeptical. And then I, I look at a lot of the, the, the left that are very enthused about, um, supporting, um, the Ukrainians because it's sovereign territory. It's a sovereign country. Russia invaded Russia violated their borders and their sovereignty and i think to myself are you not making any um connection between your horror and your outrage at the violation of their border and the violation of ours i'm not saying it's the same thing or it's to the same degree of violence but if if that kind of stuff matters to you so much that you've put another country's flag on your profile picture on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, then wh- why don't you care about what's happening on the border of your own country? And again, I'm not suggesting that the people coming over are the Russian army, but 
But if that's a principle, and see, that's my mistake right there because it's not a principle. But if that was your principle, then you would be against it anywhere in the world. Like if you're, if your big thing is you're against hunger, then you're against people being hungry anywhere. If you're against poverty, you're against poverty wherever it can be found. If you're against human trafficking or if you're against rape or if you're against discrimination, you're against it wherever it can be found. But if you're, if you're completely blocking your own countrymen, because you want a virtue signal, and that's what a lot of this is. Remember when all the members of Congress, when the State of the Union, they all came with the, with the Ukrainian colors on their clothing? Man, there's never been so many red, white, and blue scarves as there were that night of the blue and gold. Again, this is nothing against the Ukrainian people who seem like beautiful people. Nothing against, nothing to disparage the, the bravery of, of Ukrainians defending themselves. You want to recognize that? I'm with you. I'm with you. But there's a dirty feeling kind of, I don't know, usefulness to this or virtue signaling to this that just, it's off putting for me. And, uh, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't think we, I don't think we know enough yet to start hanging laurels in this case. And of course, the fighting is still going on. So, uh, one of the actors from The Office, uh, Mindy Kaling, was uh, saying in an interview in Good Morning America that The Office, which ran on NBC for a number of years, could not be made today. She said, I'm in touch with the writers. We talk all the time about how much of the show probably could not be made today. Um, and... She says, tastes have changed, and what offends people has changed so much. I think that's one of the reasons the show is popular, because people feel like there's something kind of fearless about it or taboo that it talks about on the show. I don't know if you're a fan of The Office or not. I was a big fan. I still am a big fan of The Office. I I read this, and I think to myself, how is that progress? How is it that when people, and we, people say this all the time, right, about movies, about television shows, oh, you couldn't make it today, you couldn't do that today. That seems really weird to me. Like when I was a kid, I thought progress meant that we would always be more open-minded, more free. And now we're sitting back with our arms folded going, hmm, interesting, we have less freedom than we used to have. What do you think about that? All right, so i got to ask you. Because we like to talk about sports. Mm-hmm. I would like to pick your mind about sports. Uh, the Aaron Judge contract, nine years, $360 million to stay with the New York Yankees. Reportedly, he could even have gotten a little bit more from a couple of other teams, mm-hmm. uh, but decided on the Yankee deal and uh, certainly will not be clipping coupons. <laughs> no, he won't. Won't be going to the early bird you know, special. You know, I heard them talking about this on the way in on San Antonio Sports Star, and since I was driving, I couldn't really get into it, but I was curious as to what that contract breaks down to per mm. game. Mm-hmm. It's got to be like six figures, or, mm. or way, way upper five figures, just per game, Jack. Well, and there's the distribution of it, too, because these are not paid out in equal installments over the nine years. So when you have these long-term contracts, whether it's Tom Brady or whoever, it's always, you know, there's some, so much this year, then there's a different amount in year two and in year four. And, but, um, 
I, I think we always have the wrong conversation at the wrong time because, like, when we complain about the, the skyrocketing salaries in sports, this is not the problem. No. Because Aaron Judge, and I have to say this even as a Red Sox fan, he doesn't just elevate the Yankees. He elevates that sport. Yep, that's a fact. I mean, the Yankees come to your town to play your team. You're more likely to buy a ticket mm-hmm. because you want to see this guy play. Even if and your team is out of it. You know? it, it, it or, or, yeah, or your team has a bunch of nobodies. Uh, you know, that, that was the case when, when Michael Jordan was in the NBA. Um, he, he is that, he is at that level of, of, uh, you know, brand identity. The, the pro, the, the time to have this conversation is when some second baseman who's hitting 220 you know, is getting $7 million a year. Th- then let's have that conversation about the skyrock. But see, we don't because he, that, that guy is not a household name. Right. And we, we're not interested unless it's our, it's our city. But yeah, the other thing I always think about is, you know, these guys, they, they hold out for the, the payoff because they never know. You never know what's going to happen. That's right. Um, I noticed that there's, uh, now an effort, uh, the, the Denver Broncos now want, uh, Russell Wilson to remit some of his, t- he had a 240, I think 245 million or 250 million dollar. Yeah, it was in that deal, range. right? Yep. And that has not worked out. It's, it's possibly one of the worst trades that's ever been made in the history of sports. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, really, it's a, it is an absolute, you know, disaster what's happened in Denver. Um, but I, you know, you, you guys gave the money because you had, stars in your eyes you you thought you were buying your way to relevance you can't that's that's your problem well another another ingredient to that discussion is because we've heard this for years you know athletes are making too much money and police officers and nurses don't make nearly enough money and the reality is that the money is there to pay these athletes because the fans provide it at the end of the day and rather than a bunch of billionaire owners keeping everything, I'd rather see players get something out of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I get the no, numbers. You're right. Are I huge, mean, it's you know th- these guys don't. They're not paying out money that isn't sitting there on the table. Yeah, uh, available to be paid. So I, I I wish him well. He seems like a good guy. Uh, he seems like uh, the right kind of person to invest in. Um, I realize these these figures are unbelievable. We can't even wrap our heads around them. But mm-hmm. uh, the, yeah, he, he he's not the problem. But when some you know guy that's been in trouble and has an attitude and doesn't get it done at the plate and uh, phones it in in the field when he's getting millions of dollars a year, then come back to me and talk about paying them too much. And then next hour we'll talk about Jack Riccardi's annual salary. Exactly. Which and we'll all <laughs> right. laugh. We'll all have a good laugh. <laughs> all right. 210-599-5555. Yeah. I, um, so we, we've got that on the table. We've got the Time Magazine thing, um, on the table. And, uh, I, like I said, I, I, I just, the people that are so in love with Zelensky and so, uh, misty eyed about, uh, Ukraine, um, your, your fellow Americans are facing, uh, serious, incursions in their communities uh, to their livelihood to their liberty to their freedom of movement could you spare a little of your churchillian bluster for people that live in arizona you, the president couldn't even couldn't even be bothered 
could take a side trip. They should have told them it was an ice cream shop on the border, and maybe you would have gone then, or Texas, or wherever. You know, that's all I ask. Sure, okay, the Ukrainian people putting up a good fight. Your fellow Americans are too. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos KTSA News Times 522 Thanks for being here this afternoon, Jack Riccardi, as we hang out on Wednesday. So some of the things we've been talking about, and uh, phone lines are open for you at 210-599-5555. Herschel Walker loses the last race of the 2022 midterm in Georgia. Um, your thoughts on that and uh, why that happened and what the Republicans, uh, what responsibility the Republicans have for that. We talked about the Philadelphia gas station owner who's hired armed guards uh, to patrol the property uh, because his customers and his employees have been the victims of so much um, of so much crime. Uh, we talked about the Border Patrol agent near Mission who was killed today in a high-speed chase, um, chasing illegal immigrants. And, of course, this comes a day after President Biden uh, said there were more important things than visiting the border. The border, um, I mean, there, there are always a lot of important things, but... It is interesting that usually presidents uh, never miss an opportunity to go to a place that's in crisis uh, where there is, uh, you know, grief to demonstrate how much they care. So it's telling that the, the calculation, I'm not, I'm not putting this on Joe Biden. Joe Biden's not making this decision. But it's interesting that the calculation with the Democrats and with this White House is, yeah, there's a lot of squawking about the border, but but we don't. We're, we're, we can stay right where we are on this. We don't need a better answer. We don't need to show an increased uh, interest in it. We're not open to more. We're not even interested in pretending or head faking that we're going to get more serious about it. So they, something is telling them to stand their ground and just, you know, Title 42 goes away. We have dramatically more people coming at that point. The system is overwhelmed now. It will obviously be much more overwhelmed then. Think about that. I'm not asking you, do you agree with them or not? Just think for a minute about what they must be thinking, what their theory, their working theory must be, about why this is this is fine. 210-599-5555. Katanji Brown-Jackson, the Supreme Court Justice appointed by President Biden, was hearing the argument in the case from Colorado where a private business, in this case a website contractor, had uh, declined to do work for a same-sex couple. And in the uh, Q&A, Justice Jackson made an analogy to the Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. 
And, and I want to play this for you and then, and then get your reaction to it on the other side. Cut number one. Listen to this a public business. I'm a photographer. My belief is that, you know, uh, I'm doing It's a Wonderful Life scenes. That's what I'm offering. Okay. I want to do video depictions of It's a Wonderful Life. And um, I'm knowing that movie very well. I want to be authentic. And so only white children and families can be uh, 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 customers for that particular product. Everybody else can, I'll give to everybody else, I'll sell them anything they want, just not the It's a Wonderful Life depictions. Um, I'm expressing something, right, for your purposes, that, that speech. What about, uh, what's the other step? It's speech and I can say anti-discrimination laws can't make me sell the It's a Wonderful Life package to uh, non-white individuals. What? <laughs> what? What the hell is she talking about? What is she talking about? What made her go there? What made her go to It's a Wonderful Life? Like, who thinks the way to make my point is to let me drag this Jimmy Stewart movie into this into this discussion? Remember that during her confirmation testimony. She famously said that she could not define a woman because she's not a biologist. I'm not sure she's. Uh, I'm not sure she's a film historian either. So, is that a is that a reasonable argument? Like, if you're a business, a bakery, a photographer, a website designer. And you don't want to um, render services for a same-sex couple. She's saying that would be like if you were shooting, and I don't, I'm not exactly sure what she means. Like, if would people be going to her and saying, I, "I, my family and I want to be videoed as if we are the characters in It's a Wonderful Life." That seems deeply weird to me. And she's saying if that company offered that, but wouldn't take the pictures of people of other races leaving aside the obvious problem with there is a a huge difference right just in terms of like words and meaning of words there's a huge difference between race and gender preference but how would you get like i I had to really think that through like where where would that come from and all i can think of is that Katanji Brown Jackson is showing us that she has been brought up on, trained on, educated on a narrative from which she will not uh, depart. This isn't a constitutional principle. This isn't a um originalism argument this is someone with no capability for self thought and basically just the talking points well if it's about gender bring up race if it's about race bring up gender It also kind of presupposes something else, which I think is interesting. When, whenever we have a case like this, 
people always say, well, what would it, how would it be different if, and then they bring up some hypothetical example of uh, discrimination. But see, that's not, the, that's not the, the way you decide a case like this. It's not the job of the Supreme Court to make sure that everybody has an enlightened view of race or an enlightened view of gender. It's their job to see if you have the right versus what your obligations are under the law. So it's not about making the world a better place or teaching the world a lesson, which is what she's doing here. She's trying to teach a lesson, I guess. And that's, I guess that's where we, we come up against the, the problem, the modern problem we have with the Supreme Court. We talked about this during the confirmation hearings, and I think we played a number of times, we played the, the little clip from uh, former Senator Ben Sass when he would say the reason the Supreme Court confirmation nominations, uh, confirmation uh, hearings are so heated and emotional is because we've put everything into the, 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 the venue of the courts. We're no longer, politicians are no longer uh, acting legislatively. Anything that's tricky or sticky or complicated or controversial, we, we kick it to the courts. That makes the courts way more important to way more people in more ways than they were ever supposed to be. But if we believe that a photographer, a cake baker, a website developer ought to serve everyone, that is a a moral argument, that is a persuasive argument, but that's not what's at issue here. What's at issue here is the limit of the government to compel the behavior. So it's okay to think these two things together. It's possible that you would think, I really don't like that that website developer won't work with that couple. That, that bothers me. Maybe I, w- maybe I would even, if, if, if I had the opportunity, if I lived in that community, I would not give him my business because he discriminated against that couple. I could see you thinking that. But then at the same time, you could also think, but you know what? There are other website developers, and he's free to be a closed-minded one or a narrow-minded one if, if he so chooses. But it's a wonderful life. I mean... You, you, you wanna, you wanna think, well, maybe she was like watching it on TCM last night and then it, you know, it was in her head and she just kind of popped out with it. But I don't even think it's that. I think there's a kind of training that we're now gonna see more and more of. Think about all of the young people that are getting CRT fed down their throats, poured down their throats every day. Imagine when they are of age to go to law school. Imagine when they are of age to practice law, to write uh, bills and legislatures, serve on courts, and eventually ascend to the Supreme Court. Imagine the programming that you're going to be up against. And Katanji Brown-Jackson is, is giving us a preview. There'll be a lot more of this because of the way we're training people about race. Christmas, just like the one 
play this song for Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson. Purely a coincidence at this moment. Uh, 538 on KTSA, 210-599-5555. Supreme Court Justice, in a case involving a Colorado business that declined a website design bid uh, for a um, same-sex couple, uh, and into that oral argument, Justice Jackson brings up this weird example involving It's a Wonderful Life. Take a listen. Okay, I want to do video depictions of It's a Wonderful Life. And um, I'm knowing that movie very well. I want to be authentic, and so only white children and families can be uh, 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 customers for that particular product. Everybody else can, I'll, I'll give to everybody else, I'll sell them anything they want, just not the It's a Wonderful mm. Life depictions. Uh, <laughs> it's a good thing she's a it's a good thing she's a judge and not a business person because that sounds like a terrible business plan. It just sounds like something nobody would be doing. But you see, it's that it's that pre-programmed idea. It's the introduction of race into a case in which race has no part, and that's not just her. We are bringing up an entire generation who will be trained. to. I I can't say that she was. She may or may not have been. But the training we're giving now will yield a lot more of that. Esteban is on KTSA. Esteban, good afternoon. I'm wondering what race has to do with freedom of conscience. Uh, would Would an evangelical church go to a website designer that's proudly Wiccan and demand an evangelical church website. Would, uh, what would you say about a vegan who's also a Hindu refusing to do a website mm. for a steakhouse? Well, don't people usually, um, don't people usually seek out um, businesses or providers that they already have some either reference to, connection to, affinity, shared affinity, I mean, that's why businesses often advertise that they're Christian or they're veteran-owned or, you know, because there is that, that that kind of affinity preference that people have. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, if you were a, if you were a church, you wouldn't go to a Wiccan, uh, you know, business provider unless unless you were trying to create a test case for the Supreme Court, right? And so you're, try, you're trying to cause conflict. You know, there's an oral surgeon... I like going to because I know he was a blue collar. I know he framed houses. Yeah. Do you do you, do you? But do you also see where um, we're training people to um, put a a racial framework around something that doesn't even have race in it? I mean, so your argument would apply if we were just talking about the gender preference of the of the businessman versus the gender preference of the customer. But then she introduces a, an element. It's not even there. We're training racists. I mean, I, I could see if we were, thank you, Esteban, I, I could see, and I, and I do see, if we were teaching our children to stand up to racism, I'm all for that. 
If someone is telling you you're not good enough, stand up. Show them you are. Make them uncomfortable in their narrow-minded idiocy. I'm all, I'm all good with that. What we're doing instead is we're actually training people to expect to be treated badly, and then we're preparing them with the framework. So we're not, we're not making like tougher kids and tougher young people and we're making weaker ones. Which is a very ironic thing because if you look at the civil rights movement, the civil rights movement had a kind of militancy to it. You know, their idea was we're, we're going to win. They marched. They resisted. They took beatings. They went to jail. They were abused. One person would do it so that other people didn't have to do it. What we have today is the polar opposite of that. What we have today is the, is the defeatism of everyone who's white is out to get you. If you are a person of color, you, you, the, the system is rigged against you. You, if you don't see it, you're not looking hard enough, squint and you'll see it. If you don't think there's racism, it's because you just haven't found it yet, but it's there. And so that's where you get people. And again, she would seem to not be of the right age, but maybe this, maybe this started sooner than I think it did. But I, I, I watched this and listened to this and I think this will be very, a very common way of thinking in another 10 or 20 years. When, when the, the young people that are going through this curricula now are in positions of responsibility, leadership, power, the, the courts, the legislature, there's going to be a lot more of this. And that's too bad. Because we were on a track to be stronger. We were on a track to make people stronger. And you still see it. I mean, you still meet young people that are very confident, uh, very capable, proud of who they are, bow to no one. So we know it's possible. We know that there are parents doing it. We know that there are educators doing it. There are still places where we're, we're, we're developing that. But I'm afraid systematically, like societally, we're doing we're doing the opposite, which is really, which is, is gonna be, is gonna be rough. Uh, 210-599-5555. Jonathan is on KTSA. Jonathan, good afternoon. Hey, Jack. Always a pleasure to speak to you. I think it's, I think it's this loss of respect. You know, where is that, that point of you're supposed to respect the people who are, are wanting to get married, you know, regardless of what pairing it is, but somehow, Take the person who politely declines. No, I don't. I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to make that website. I don't want to bake that cake. And yet, somehow, those are the cases that are always forward. This isn't the first time we've heard this. This isn't the first time we've seen something. This is probably the highest it's gone. But it's been multiple cases of, oh, this Christian doesn't want to do this, so we have to show them why they're wrong, as opposed to, oh. I can find somebody else to bake my cake or mm-hmm. build my website mm-hmm. or whatever it is and just say, I apologize, or not even have to say, I apologize. Like, hey, you don't want to do it? That's fine. I'll give my mm-hmm. money to someone else mm-hmm. and just respect the fact that, you know, it's not like the person said, 
oh, I'm going to make a website that puts down your marriage or something. It was just right. like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that, please. Well, it's the know? difference between teaching people that they're strong and teaching people that the government will, will uh, you know, fight all their battles for them. And, and I yeah, guess politicians exactly. love that. Yeah, I mean, the politicians love that, obviously, because they want to be essential uh, to you from cradle to grave, and, and they, they fantasize well, I, about all the ways they can, they can do that. Jonathan, thank you. Uh, 210-599-5555. Jeff is on KTSA. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Jack. Uh, great topic. Hey, when you, uh, when you gave out this, the justice's opinion, I was like, okay, I started to gather it, and then I would have to get the script to really differentiate what she was trying to say. But to the point of, you know, there's no legal, there was no description of, you know, uh, legal, uh, any inference about have we violated something to your point, but also, you know, you're talking about, I think what you commonly talk about is we're kind of like losing our ability to know what words mean, particularly. So actually I'm not this smart, but I, w- I looked up the definition of discrimination or discriminating, which we discriminate every day and oftentimes multiple times. But it comes from discriminate. And then what it applies is that we're differentiating between all kinds of things. So when I tie this particular case, you know, we're, dis- we're, we're discriminating on all kinds of things. But to the point is we've lost all sense of what words mean, like justice. People say social justice. Well, in my book, as far as I understand, there's only one definition for is it just or justice. So I don't know if that makes sense, but <laughs> that's what I gathered. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think we we can we cannot possibly expect the government, which is a political entity, to establish justice. The only the only ultimate justice is going to come in the next world. It's not even going to come in this world. But what what we're asking the Supreme Court to do is not right every wrong and um ride to the rescue of every person who's ever not gotten what they thought they should. We're just asking them to referee disputes over the Constitution itself. And the Constitution is not a divine document. It's not, it's not God. It's, it's a system set up by men. It's the best one we've ever found. We fall short of it every day, all the time. But it is not their job to say, by golly, these, this couple ought to be able to get this website. No. But I have to come back to what I'm, I'm even more worried about than just that. I'm even more worried about the idea that we have gone from making people strong to making people weak. And we're making people weak so that the politicians can feel strong and, and, and feign strength on your behalf. They can fight your battles for you. They can demand things. They can, they can confiscate things for you and hand them to you and get your gratitude. Instead of recognizing that um, you can get your website, you can have your cake baked, you can have your wedding photos taken by, by somebody that wants to do it and wants to earn your money doing it. And you'll feel good paying them because they're, they're, they're respecting you and the way you live. And that's that's what we're getting away from. That's what we were going toward. And now that's what we're getting away from. And it's not by accident.
Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, running down Santa Claus Lane. Blitz and blitz and all the ears are reindeer, pulling on a rain. Bells are ringing, children singing, all is merry and bright. Hang your stockings and say your prayers, cause Santa Claus comes tonight. All right, 5.56 on KTSA. We'll be kicking off the weekend with a dish on Friday in our 6 o'clock hour. We'll talk restaurants and get you praise or zing, your most recent restaurant experience, uh, on Friday after 6 here on KTSA. Today is uh, Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day, 81 years since the Pearl Harbor attack. We're going to remember that, talk about that a little bit. Um, Eddie Scary is a kind of a funny guy and a commentator and writes books and columns. Uh, I think he writes for the D.C. Examiner. I've seen him at the Federalist uh, also. He wrote about greeting cards recently. Now, I, I actually send out, not not a ton of them, but I, I actually send out Christmas cards to, like, family and friends. Um, I have a little Christmas card address book. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's just something I like to do. Um, and I... I can tell that far fewer people are doing it than used to do it. Uh, and I don't, I don't get as many as I used to. So I'm just presuming, well, it could be me, but I'm just presuming people probably just don't do this as much, right? They, there's more electronic communication and, and, and we're just generally not using the mails as much. So he wrote this column about greeting cards, Christmas greeting cards. And he said, if he gets one and it is not signed if the person doesn't write in it he throws it away i'm not joking scary writes unsigned non-personalized greeting cards are as meaningful to me as a mailed offer for new auto insurance i don't own a car and the paper waste is offensive i'm not one of those miserable liberals who hates christmas he writes and everything else christmas is truly my favorite time of year and each season uh, i go and buy uh, very nice, very expensive holiday greeting cards and send them to family, friends, and colleagues. And I write a note, and I sign each one. He says, I don't want it. I don't want the card if you didn't write on it. Um, Eddie, I love you, but I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting that. So here's my question to you. Do you send greeting cards, and do you write in them? And do you write a lot in them? Or do you just sign your name? Or do you do one of those, do you do one of those family newsletters? I could do without the family newsletter. Is that a, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but like, you don't need to, I just want to know everybody's good. <laughs> we don't need to, we don't need to run down the year in review. Yeah, you know, I feel bad, Christian. I forgot to ask you, how was the third grade uh, pageant? You know, I'm going to be real honest here. Oh, you probably shouldn't be. <laughs> Wait, never mind. So I had never been to, I've got two stepchildren who are older, right? They're late teens. Mm-hmm. I had never been to a third grade concert before with mm-hmm. my child there. Mm. And so six o'clock was starting time, which is why I was out you know, pretty early yesterday. And kids start singing at about two or three after. Of course, I got my phone and everything ready. It's still in my phone. And Jack, my eyes started welling up to my mm-hmm. own, you know, I was like, don't do this here because mm-hmm. the kids mm-hmm. were good. They were in tune. Yeah. 
Um, and I'm looking at my son. He had stage fright before he went on, but then by the time they started singing, he's got a big smile on his face. And yep. uh, yeah, it's unforgettable. Just unforgettable. Those are the those are some of the best memories. Yeah, yeah. I. And, and and imagine we are like this with our kids being in the school pageant. Imagine how it must feel to have like, you know, your kid in the Olympics or Oh yeah. <laughs> it must be yeah. unbelievable. Total but, overload. Yeah. So no, I'm with you on that. I'm glad you were able to go to that and uh we'll get you. We'll we'll rope you into one of our other uh schemes one of these days. I'll be right. Have a good night, sir. You do the same. Thank you. Um, all right. So I love Christmas. I love everything about it. I do send Christmas cards, uh, actual cards. Don't, don't say e card to me. Okay. But, um, and I, and I, I'm, I'm particular about the cards. I, I, uh, I want cards that look a certain way and have something nice printed inside them. You know, the, the, the saying or whatever. What do you call that? What do you call the thing inside the card? The, the saying, the sentiment, the greeting. I don't know. And then, so, and you know, I, I might write a note in some of them. It depends on the person and how I feel. If I have something to say to them, I'm not going to write something generic. I'm not going to write the same thing 25 times. But if I have something to say to that person, if I want to thank them for their friendship or say something in particular to their circumstances, and then I'm going to sign my name. Um. But if I get a card that doesn't have that, I'm just grateful to get it. Like, what about the cards where, you know, how, like my sister and her family, and I know a few people that do this, my sister and her family, every year, their Christmas card is one of those uh, things you make, like on Shutterfly or one of those deals where it's like a mosaic of family photos, and it's pre-printed, and it's it, you customize it, and there's no place to write on it. There's no need to write on it. I don't even know where where you would where there would be space to write anything. So you don't you, you know who it's from, and you recognize the people. That's fine. I'm happy to get that. And again, some people write a, a long note, a short note. Some people put one of those, you know, Xeroxed family newsletter things in there. I think that's become less common as well. But I would not have a problem with uh, an unsigned unpersonalized Christmas card. This guy at uh, uh, writing at uh, The Federalist says that he throws them away. If the person didn't write in them, he throws them away. That it's it's cold, it's uncaring. He also says, by the way, Eddie Scary is his name, and I usually agree with him. He also says that he hates gift cards. Quote, gift cards in general are fairly lazy, with the exception of specific restaurants or novelty outlets a person is known to love. Well, Eddie, you know what? Maybe you're doing okay financially, but I'm happy to get a gift card. And I can find a way to use a gift card, you know? And if it isn't a store I like to shop in, then maybe I can use it to buy something for somebody else. But, no, I love gift cards. I give them. I get them. I think it's a great gift. I mean, it's a better gift than somebody buying you something you cannot possibly use. And I, 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 don't, I don't get this thinking. Sure, if you can come up with a gift for somebody, it's a great feeling when you know, oh, man, this is perfect for her or him. But he says the gift card is like saying, I felt obligated to give you something. Okay, so what do you think about that? I think that's a little fussy. <laughs> I think Eddie needs a, somebody needs to pour Eddie an eggnog and 
get him a a lap blanket. He seems a little he seems a little put out. He's a good guy, but I, I don't agree with him on this. Do you still send Christmas cards? Is that a thing for you? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. It definitely is in decline. You even see in the stores that the displays of them used to be much bigger and more varied, and it's pretty meager now. Um, I, I've noticed that it's harder for me to find a box. Usually I, I buy a couple of boxes because I like to have a, a couple of different ones to send out and maybe a, you know, for, for close friends and family, this one, and for more acquaintances, that one. But I'm overthinking it, obviously, like I do with everything. Um, but yeah, to me, it's, it's a nice custom. It's not something that, um, it may not be as common as it used to be, but in a way that makes the giving and getting of them even a little more special, right? Like people are more appreciative that you did it, that you took the time to do it. Cause you and I can remember back in the day, man, they were like water, you know, everybody sent them, everybody got them. Maybe you, you remember your parents sitting down at the kitchen table and just doing like stacks of them. So now when you get one, it's kind of a nice little, it's, it's like, to me, it's in the same category as getting a thank you note. And we did that discussion one time, I remember. Do people still write a thank you note? Or do they just text you, T-Y? <laughs> There's something about a card, because it's rare, because it's kind of a throwback. 210-599-5555. What were we going to say, Don? Don't you think that... Um... Social media, so such as Facebook, has kind of taken away from the handwritten oh, yeah. Yeah. letters Text and Text messaging, cards emails, and, mm-hmm, socials, mm-hmm. all that stuff, absolutely. But uh, I don't know. I mean, you can – I feel like when you put it in a card, you're giving them something that is going to be around longer, you know? I'm not saying you're going to keep my card for the rest of your life tied up with, you know, in a stack of them with ribbons. And, Don, by the way, I hope you're not doing that with the cards I've given you. But well, you – Give me an idea. Well, there you go. You can start now. You can start this year. But I mean, you know, it's just, it's like saying this is more than just the usual text message. This is more than just the usual uh, greeting. It's funny to me how, on the one hand, people complain that Christmas has become commercialized, but then in the next breath, they complain about the things that, that, that do kind of show. Hey, I care about you. I was thinking of you. I thought of you while I wrote this. I thought of you while I addressed this. So tell me where you are on that, if you have a, if you have a thought on Christmas cards. 210-599-5555. Today is Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day. And when I think about Pearl Harbor, I, I have a couple of memories. Not that I remember it, but I uh, <laughs> not that old. But one of the first things I remember ever hearing about Pearl Harbor as a kid was my dad was uh, was born in 1925. And so he was a teenager in high school, immigrant family, very poor, uh, no history of military service that we knew of. And he used to tell us how the Pearl Harbor attack affected him and his classmates and his generation. And that from the time they heard of that attack until the time he was 17, a couple of years later, he knew and his buddies knew and his high school friends knew that they were going to enlist. Knew 
they were going to. Couldn't wait. Not because they were macho or Rambo or, again, because they had any tradition of this, at least not in his family. I mean, it's one thing to come from a military family and, and grow up admiring an uncle or a father or a grandfather and say, I want to, I want to do what he did. But it was that transformative for them. And they took offense. It was like they had been punched in the face. It happened to their country, but it also happened to them. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. 624, KTSA. So we're talking about Christmas cards and whether or not you still send them out. A uh, columnist uh, at the Federalist wrote that he doesn't want your card, throws it, throws it right in the trash if it is not uh, written in and signed also does not want any gift cards they're thoughtless gifts um i <laughs> I, I wish him i wish him luck but um i'm glad to get a card i'm glad to get a uh, any acknowledgement like that i like sending them i like getting them do you still send christmas cards is that still a thing for you 210-599-5555 danielle is on ktsa hi danielle hey jack how are you I'm good. How you doing? Good. I love Christmas cards. We send them every year, and every time I get one in the mail, I hang it up on my kitchen cabinets, and I keep them from year to year. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you um, when you send them, do you uh, make, like, your own photo cards, or do you buy cards? What do you do? We do. We make our own every year. I make my own. My husband doesn't okay. have much to do with that, but I do them. <laughs> and, okay. you know, there are pictures of the kids and us throughout the year, and um, our friends and family are out of town. They really enjoy getting them. I like seeing people's, you know, kids change, you know, change over the years. These aren't kids I see all the time, so maybe maybe this is the one time a year I see how much taller they are or whatever. Do you uh, Do you write on the card, or is it the kind of card that really doesn't have any room for that? There, no, there's never really any room for it. I try to yeah. get as many pictures in as I can. Right. So, And it has your name pre-printed on it, so there'd be no need to sign it. It's already from you. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know what this guy's thinking, because you can't write on a card like that. No, and, and not only that, it's, it's, uh, it's just nice to get. It means someone thought of you regardless. Right, right. I mean, let's not make it complicated. If people think of you, that's a nice thing, period. Absolutely. And the gift cards, what else are you going to get teenagers? Hello. <laughs> they don't they, they don't want cash. They want cards. Absolutely. Danielle, thanks. Good call. Uh, Mac is on KTSA. We're talking about whether or not you still write and receive Christmas cards. Hi, Mac. Hey, Jack. Uh, yeah, I just want to say I've been making my own It's a Christmas message. Usually people tell you how well they're doing and wonderful right. things are going on. Yeah. I uh, I make up a probably the last twenty years I've made up a list of probably oh eight ten stanzas kind of just kind of goes into what happened in my, it's a poem all of them oh huh stanzas and uh, so I'll bet people that know you really look forward to getting that like they want to see what you came up with this year right 
Actually, you're, you're right. They do, which is amazing. Yeah. But so it's not really hard to do. But it, people think it's amazing anyway. But, well, now let me ask you: How long does it? How long does it take you to come up with that? Because I, I don't think well, I could do that. Well, I'm, and it, it comes with up two recent pictures and things that help kind of show what I'm talking about here and there. Um, it probably takes at least a month to put it all together, really. Wow. So it's not necessarily well, that's pretty, easy, but it's sort of that's pretty. That's pretty thoughtful. I mean, you know, I mean, people got to know that this, this guy cares. He took the time to come up with this. Uh, and they and they rhyme? Oh, yes. Wow. I'm impressed, Mac. Very nicely done. You're, you're putting the rest of us with our Hallmark uh, box sets to shame here. <laughs> Thank you, Mac. Appreciate it. 210-599-5555. And I know, I mean, just in general, using the U.S. mail is kind of an old school thing. We, we just, we don't do it very much. You don't, you don't get as much mail, period, as you used to get. You don't use as much as you used to use. But I still, uh, I don't know. There's something about, there's something about Christmas where, it, it, it's it needs to retain some of its old school feel, you know. We don't have to thoroughly modernize it. Yes, I know there's e cards and there's, but you know, you can you can send somebody a, a text message and put the little emojis of Santa Claus and the Christmas tree and the red nose Rudolph and but you know a card. Come on, admit it, right? You get your mail, it's all junk, and then there's one personalized envelope in there. It's kind of a nice feeling, right? 210-599-5555. Yeah, Pearl Harbor, 81 years ago today. We, um, it'll be mentioned today. I don't know that in very many places it's marked, it's noted, it's, you know, stopped down for. When you think of all the different stories that came out of Pearl Harbor, there's there's so many, um, like, what-if questions and what could have been and what could have happened. Um, the, it, it could have been worse uh, because as, as much damage as the U.S. Navy endured, the error of the Japanese was to not catch the aircraft carriers at Pearl and the aircraft carriers were what got us back into the battle. We were on, we were we were on our heels. I mean, we were really in bad shape for several months after Pearl Harbor, but we still had the aircraft carriers. We had the strike back capability. We had the ability to project force with the aircraft carriers. The the ships that were uh, hit, some of them returned to action pretty quickly. And then there's the story uh, that I think gets told every year of Dory Miller. And Dory Miller uh, was a Texan, I think from Waco, or around there. But he was a uh, a cook and a mess attendant on the uh, West Virginia. And he woke up in the morning to do his, you know, mess duties to... Uh, make coffee and serve breakfast. And that was what he did on the ship. He was working in the kitchen. He was collecting and doing laundry. And when the attack started and the battle station's alarm sounded, everyone, no matter what their normal duties were, reported to a battle station. And his battle station was an anti-aircraft gun that had been 
already knocked out by the time he got to it. So he went to another place on the ship, reported for other duty, was told to start carrying wounded sailors, did that. Um, eventually, he got uh, pulled into operating an anti-aircraft gun on another part of the ship, and he got an on-the-spot lesson. He had never fired it. He got an on-the-spot lesson in using it. Remember now, this is in the middle of the Japanese aerial attack that has caught everybody off guard. Sunday morning, everybody's in shock. Dead bodies all over. And he wound up um, manning that gun and um, trying to fend off the Japanese planes, to obviously to, to little effect. Then went back to the work of helping and moving uh, wounded sailors. And the thing about Dory Miller, or his, his, his legal name was Doris Miller, because when he was born, his family was so sure that he would be a girl, that the mid, and the midwife told him that it would, it would be a girl, that they, they, they named him Doris, but he, he went by Dory. The, the thing that's usually noted about Dory Miller is that he was a black sailor and that um, it, it was an extraordinary story. Some people think he was a great example. Some people think he was, he was given less honor and less distinction than he should have been given for his bravery and his service. But the thing that I take away from his story is that I don't think he reacted in the moment as a man who was black or white. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there. But from what I've read and what I've heard, he reacted the way a lot of our servicemen did. Um, the thing you had to do, the kind of man you had to be on that day, was um, you had to just step up and do what was needed. You stepped up and met the challenge. You performed the action that the men around you needed you to perform. I Again, I wasn't in his head. I wasn't in his heart. I don't know. But he did not let the fact that the Navy had relegated him to menial duties get in the way of doing what he could see needed to be done. And, and he did it. I, I mean, I'm glad that he's an inspiration in terms of race, and, I, and I'm glad that he's belatedly gotten some of the, the honor that he probably should have received at the time. Um, but I, I guess when, when we ask ourselves questions about who we are as a country and who we've been as a country, this is who we've been. Dory Miller is who we've been. Hopefully it's who we still are. Oh, by gosh, by golly, it's time for mistletoe and holly Tasty pheasants, Christmas presents Countryside's covered with snow Oh, by gosh, by jingle It's time for carols and Kris Kringle Overeating, merry greeting 
from relatives you don't know. 641 on KTSA. Then Talking a little bit about everything from Christmas cards to Pearl Harbor, Remembrance Day today, 81 years later. Uh, 210-599-5555. This half hour, we'll also have the results of today's JR poll. I mentioned earlier, my, for my dad's generation, the, um, the attack on Pearl Harbor was, uh, offensive. Now you gotta remember, he's a teenager. He's not, there, there's no, there's no like, you know, there's no, there's no Fox News or, or somebody amping him up. Uh, he, he's just a kid. And he's a, he's a child of immigrants. He, he lives in a home where his parents don't even speak much English. And they were pretty poor. You know, not much indoor plumbing. They grew what they ate. I've seen pictures of him as a kid. The clothes look kind of raggy. But he and his classmates took personally that the U.S. Navy, again, to which they had no you know direct connection, had been attacked at Pearl Harbor. One other thing he did tell me, which I think maybe helps explain this, he said when he was in high school, he was in high school when this happened, and 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 after Pearl Harbor, and not of course you not only have your Pearl Harbor, but around the same time you have all the other advances that the Nazis are making in Europe. He says, our teachers would talk about this. They would talk about and they would relate to the lessons about American history and civics, what was going on in the world. So these teachers believed it was their job to convert the the fascism and the um, empire building of these bloodthirsty regimes to their students, to say to their students, "This matters to you, and your your country is in this. This is going to be your fight." Now, I wonder today how that would be handled. Because it's pretty clear that a lot of educators, I don't mean all of them, don't take offense if this doesn't apply to you, but a lot of educators have no problem bringing in opinion and personal analysis to the lesson. Sometimes we're not crazy about that. But what these teachers were saying was, you are citizens of this country. You are going to have a responsibility. This will be your fight. This will be your struggle. Should they have been doing that? Is that the right thing to do? I think on some level it is because I I think a country like the United States, citizenship is a learned quality. You know, if my dad had been the citizen of another country, say Poland, when Poland was invaded and attacked by the Germans, nobody would have needed to teach a German boy or girl this is your fight. They just would have known. But the thing about America, as Bono famously said, is it's not just a country, it's an idea. The reason he and his buddies ran to the enlistment office as soon as they were old enough to do it is because they had been taught citizenship. 
I don't know if their teachers were Democrats or Republicans or had voted for Roosevelt or Wilkie or I, I, I don't know any of that. It doesn't matter. I don't know if his teachers were pacifists or uh, people that didn't uh, believe the war was the, the, the answer, but it didn't matter. They, they took seriously the idea that these are, these are American citizens. We're training them to be American citizens. Now, that's not just signing up for the military. You, you, you train a citizen, you, you teach him or her his rights. You, you teach him or her what the Constitution means to him or her, right? Like, this is what you have the right to. Don't let anybody infringe on this and this and this. You teach them how it works, right? What the, what the, what the branches of government mean, what the separation of powers are, what, what federalism, meaning the, the relationship between the states and the federal government is. But see, I, I think that's more important right now than just the political bent of a teacher. And again, I think it's really interesting to think he didn't know. I asked him this. It would be interesting if you if you knew at the time. Well, were, were these teachers all people that supported Roosevelt, and they were all Democrats? And they probably weren't. Couldn't tell though. Shouldn't be able to tell. That's what we're missing. And that idea of citizenship. You know, we've done nothing in the last fifty years but denigrate it, render it less important. You don't need to be a citizen, or. Everyone can be a citizen. We're doing it right now. Both parties are working very hard to lower the bar and erase the distinction. But the the, the only reason I, I really believe this, my I don't, I'm not putting him down when I say this because my dad was a, a strong guy, but I really don't think he would have figured this was his fight, except that was the lesson, that was the molding that he was getting. This is your country. This is your fight. You are a citizen of it. You will have to respond to this. You will have to respond. Not someone should respond to it. You will have to respond to this. I wonder how people would take it today. They'd probably say today, oh, you, 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 teachers are warmongers. They're, 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 uh, they're doing the job of recruiters. Well, I don't know about all that, but. I do know that in this country, if you don't learn to be a citizen, there's nothing that naturally makes you one. You you really have to learn it. Someone has to show you your piece of it. And I'm, I'm glad we had that. I hope we still do. I wonder. J.R. Poll, we asked you, do you still send out Christmas cards? Do you mail out Christmas cards, old school, old style? Uh, we had a 50-50 tie on the poll. 50% said, yes, I do. 50% said, nope. Not doing that anymore. Uh, new poll tomorrow at 4. You can find it anytime at KTSA.com. Um, a big thank you again to everybody that supported Rapping with Jack last night. It was it was a success not because we had a great time or the broadcast went well or the musicians sounded incredible, all of which was true, did happen. But it was a success because uh, hope 
and faith was rewarded because there will be people with a gift to unwrap and a little bit of feeling like they matter uh, in a year that's been hard for them or their family or they've lost family members or their family has split up or kids whose parents have uh, divorced or passed away in some cases, all kinds of hardships that your gift, your generosity will add a little bit of brightness to, a little bit of hope to at the end of a tough year. So thank you to everybody that was any part of it, showed up, wrapped, gave money, donated gifts. We appreciate it. You can uh, catch, um, we, we, we're definitely putting some pictures up uh, on Facebook, and I'm going to put more up later on, but uh, it was a great time, and big thanks to everybody who participated. Somebody sent me this. Um, you know when you have a bowl of cereal and... If it's sweet cereal like Frosted Flakes or Cinnamon Toast Crunch, you know how it makes the milk taste really good? Do you like that? Do you like, like, when you have that kind of cereal, like you want to drink down the milk? Apparently, they're now selling cereal-flavored milk. I did not know this. And uh, it's made by Nestle, and they have it in Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Fruit Loops, uh, Cocoa Krispies, Frosted Flakes. We, <laughs> I mean, you just all you have to do is have a bowl of cereal. No, we've we've cereal'd the milk for you. I'm not sure I want to know how that's done. It's probably a factory I don't want to see the operation of. So anyway, they think of everything. There's nothing left for us to do if they've already. Put the cinnamon toast crunch cereal a, a flavor in our milk. There's nothing, really, nothing left for us to do, right? Um, as we mentioned earlier, it is also today, uh, December the seventh, the eighty-first uh, anniversary of Pearl Harbor and Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day. So we'll leave you tonight with some of the words that President Franklin Roosevelt spoke uh, in declaring war and accepting that challenge that we were talking about that Pearl Harbor represented to not just this country, but to its citizens. So take a listen to this. I'll see you back here tomorrow at 4. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The United States was at peace with that nation and at the solicitation of Japan was still in conversation with its government and its emperor looking toward the maintenance of peace in the Pacific. The attack yesterday on the Hawaiian Islands has caused severe damage to American naval and military forces. I regret to tell you that very many American lives have been lost. In addition, American ships have been reported torpedoed on the high seas between San Francisco and Honolulu. As Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy, I have directed that all measures be taken for our defense, but always will our whole nation remember the character 
of the onslaught against us.